Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Bibles to Exodus 24. Exodus chapter 24. And I want to um, I want you to imagine a scenario this morning that might happen on a Sunday morning here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. You walk into the building this morning and there's no bulletin. There's no order of worship that tells you what's going on. And so before the praise team even begins to start, there's a pocket of people over here on this side of the sanctuary that begin to sing their favorite Kalov song out of tune over here. And then another group of people over here begin to sing Amazing Grace. And there's a competition to see who can sing the loudest between the sides. People in the middle, you're confused, like, what in the world's going on? Why are people singing without a worship leader? This is really weird. And then things even get more chaotic, and a person in the middle stands up and begins to just read a scripture that has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about this morning. And then somebody up in the balcony says, well, I got a better scripture than what you've got. And then there's like this war between the scriptures going back and forth from the balcony down to the, to the, to the, to the, to the bottom level here. And everybody's looking around like, what in the world is going on? And then Doug gets up here and says, okay, we're going to worship the Lord, but you don't really need to stand. Just kind of sit there and chill out because what we're doing is not that important. Just kind of watch us play our instruments. And, you know, if you want to surf the, your phone or do whatever, we're, we're not going to really engage the Lord. We're just going to play some songs for you this morning. And then after the singing, I get up to preach and I say something like this. You know, I haven't really prepared a message today because I just haven't had the time. I haven't spent a long time in God's word this week. And so I'm just going to kind of wing it. Hopefully you'll appreciate what I've done. And I kind of tell a lot of stories about myself and give you a pep talk and then sprinkle in a few Bible verses to help you along the way. And then, oh, by the way, it's the first Sunday of the month. And so it's communion Sunday. And so at the end of the service... When I'm doing my closing prayer, there's some people that are starting to laugh. And I'm like, why are you laughing? Well, somebody tells a joke over here, and people begin to laugh. And then I say, okay, the service is over. The ushers will meet you on the way out with a little, little portable packet of crackers and juice that you can take in your car on the way home. And so have communion out in your cars on the way home, and um, we'll see you next week. Now, some of you would be very, very frustrated disappointed you'd probably never come back again you look at yourself and you look at your friends and say that was the most bizarre weird strangely insane frustrating worship service I've ever been a part of what in the world was that that was chaotic that was disrespectful what was that well it leads to a very important question this morning <clears throat> why do we worship the way we worship here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Why isn't it just a free-for-all where you can do whatever you want? Why is there structure? Why is there an order? Why are there distinct elements that are outlined in your bulletin to what we do? Now, these are important questions because we need to make sure that as we gather on Sunday mornings to do the most important thing that we're called to do, namely worship the Lord our God, that we're doing it 
in the way that he tells us to do it. You see, we don't make up the rules in how we worship the Lord. We must worship God the way that he has prescribed for us to worship. And so we come to Exodus 24, which is a very interesting passage of Scripture. Many scholars actually believe that this is the first public worship service in the Bible. And what we see in this worship service in the Bible sets the stage for how we should worship the living God when we gather together on Sunday morning. So let's read this together. If you've got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. And this is God speaking. He said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. So what's the big idea What's the main point in this passage of Scripture? Well, it's very similar to what we talked about last week, but I've worded it a little bit differently. And here it is. Worship involves approaching God on His terms alone. If we get that up on the screen. Worshiping involves approaching God on His terms alone is the main point of this passage of Scripture. So what I want to do is... Let's ask the question, what are those terms? If worship involves approaching God on his terms alone, what are those terms? How are we supposed to worship the Lord publicly when we gather on the Lord's day? And so what we see from this passage of Scripture, and these aren't the only things that we do, by the way, because this is in the Old Testament, but we do see five key elements of a biblical worship service in this passage of Scripture. Five key elements. So let's explore these elements this morning and let's just ask the question, if we're to be worshiping God on His terms, what are those terms and are we doing that appropriately? Are we doing that properly? Are we doing that faithfully as a church? So here's here's the first. First, we enter God's holy presence through a call to worship. 
We enter God's holy presence through a call to worship. Now, notice verse 1. The Lord speaks to Moses and says, Come up. Come up to the mountain, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders. Come up and worship. Come up to the mountain and worship. Now, the word worship here that's used in the Hebrew text means to bow on the ground before a king in humility, in reverence, to, to lay yourself down on the ground. And so only Moses was allowed to go all the way up into the mountain. The rest of them had to stay at a distance. They were approaching a holy, awesome God. Now, what is a call to worship? If God is calling us to worship, what's a call to worship? Well, a call to worship is how we open up a worship service. It's when we start a worship service with an opening song where we gather together to sing praises to God. And then there's the reading of God's word. And then there's a prayer where we are corporately, as a body, submitting ourselves under the lordship of Christ, saying together as a family, we're coming to worship together. And we should never be flippant or casual when we enter the presence of the Lord. Psalm 95, 6-7, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He's our God, and we're the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. You see, when you and I come in here on Sunday mornings, we have a lot of distractions, don't we? Don't raise your hand, but some of you may have argued with your kids on the way here. Some of you may have argued with your spouse even in the foyer on the way here. Or somebody may have said something to you in the hallway that got you rattled. Or, or you just had a hectic, busy, crazy week where you've walked into this place and your mind's on so many other things. A call to worship says, listen, you and I are entering the very presence of a holy God and we need to recalibrate. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready to meet this holy God. We need to submit ourselves to him. We need to come before the Lord in an attitude of awe and reverence and humility. You see, a call to worship is where God speaks to us as his people and says, come before me and worship. The way he called Moses to go up into the mountain and the people to worship. So when one of our deacons opens up the worship service with the reading of God's word and an opening prayer, we are submitting ourselves to God who's calling us to worship him. We're submitting under his lordship. We're preparing ourselves to meet God. And just a side note, we as the elders of Emmanuel are the spiritual leaders of the church, and we're responsible for overseeing the worship service. Did you notice who's responsible for overseeing this worship service here in this passage of Scripture? Moses, his pastoral staff of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders. The spiritual leaders of Israel were leading the worship service of the people, which teaches us an important New Testament concept that the elders oversee the worship ministry of the life of the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 
So the first thing about a, a public worship service is there's a call to worship where God is calling us into his presence to worship him with humility and joy and awe. But there's a second aspect. Moses comes down to the people and does something very important. So the second element we see in a worship service is the reading of God's authoritative word. The reading of God's authoritative word. Notice verse 3. Moses came and told the people. That's the, all the Israelites there that are at the base of Mount Sinai. Remember, they're still there at the base. He told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Now, what does this entail? All the words of the Lord are the Ten Commandments. Those are called the Ten Words that we just looked at over the summer. And then all the rules are those specific rules from chapter 21 through chapter 23. So from chapter 20 through chapter 23, Moses reads those in the hearing of the people. And then it's formally called the book of the covenant. Notice verse 7. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. Now, why was it called the Book of the Covenant? Because Moses actually wrote down what God wanted him to write down. Look at verse 4. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Do you realize that's how we got part of our Bible? What you're reading right now is because God told Moses to write it down in the Book of the Covenant so that it would be permanent so that it would be scripture, so that there would be no dispute, so that there would not be a forgotten word. It would be written down. And you may look at this and say, well, why does Moses read the Bible twice? Look at it. Okay, Verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and the rules of the Lord. Okay, First time, Moses reads the word of God. Then he writes it down, and then you go down to... Verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. Why did he do it twice? Why read God's word twice? Is Moses being redundant? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the first time they needed to be able to hear it to be able to understand it. They just had to be able to understand what was being told them by God. So the very first time Moses reads it, it's so that people can understand it. Okay, the second time he reads it, they've understood it. The second time he reads it is so that they can promise to obey it. The first time is so they can understand it. The second time is so they can actually obey it. Now, think about us for a moment. Why do we have all of this scripture reading in our worship services? Why do I come and we have scripture reading at the beginning and we have scripture reading in the middle and I read the scripture and I go back to the scripture and you're like, every time I come to church, he's preaching the scriptures. Why does he do that? Because you and I are prone to forget. Somebody do this for me this week, okay, and come back to me next week because I don't have the time to do it. Count up how many times the Bible says, remember. Remember the words of the Lord. You'd be amazed at how often God calls us to keep remembering. And so one of the key elements of a worship service is the reading 
and preaching of God's authoritative word. It must be front and central. That's why we have a scripture reading in our call to worship. That's why we have our elders do a scripture reading like Mickey did earlier as our time of confession. That's why I read the scriptures before I preach, and that's why I keep going back to the scriptures. We are not engaged in faithful biblical worship if the word of God is not central to everything that we do. Do you realize that the reading and the preaching of God's word itself is an act of worship? I get a little nervous when I hear people say things like this. We had a great time of worship right before he got up to preach. And I know what they mean by that. They're they're being innocent. They, They don't mean anything bad by it. What they're saying is that only when we sing do we worship. And singing is kind of the, 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 the worship. And then when he gets up to preach, I guess we don't worship anymore because that's what we already did when we sang. I know they don't mean that. Worship involves everything that we do here. The moment you walk through those doors, when there's a call to worship, when you sing, when you give tithes and offerings, when you hear the word preached, everything in the worship service is an act of worship. In many churches, they've relied heavily on entertainment to where the music portion of the worship service is more like a concert and the preaching is a short devotional thought that doesn't really have a lot of substance. The sermon's merely an emotional, motivational pep talk where the pastor talks more about himself and never opens the word of God. The faithful, week-by-week explanation and application of God's authoritative word does not have a part in a lot of churches around our nation. And so I will say it again. If the reading and the preaching of God's authoritative word is not front and center in our worship services, we are not being faithful to the biblical model. What we've done is... We've made up worship on our own terms and not on God's. Remember, we don't make up the rules. God does. We worship him on his own terms. And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, this is to the young pastor, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and that Greek word can mean preaching, and to teaching. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to, to teaching. Okay? So the first element of a worship service, a call to worship, where we come into God's presence. Second, the reading and the preaching of God's authoritative word. But here's an important thing that's also part of a worship service. Here's the third aspect, the third element. The third element of a worship service is the joyful response of obedience to God's word. The joyful response of obedience to God's word. Do you realize the worship service is a dialogue? You may have thought it was a monologue. One guy gets up and speaks to you. When the Bible is preached faithfully, who is speaking to you? Is it me? No. I'm the human instrument. God himself is speaking to you. The very God of the universe is communicating to you. He's talking to you. He's addressing you. 
So how should you respond if the sovereign creator is talking to you this morning? Well, you respond back in obedience. You pledge your devotion. You respond with repentance. Notice what the people say when Moses reads God's word. Look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. Down in verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So what are they saying to God when when the word of God is read to them? What are they saying in unison? We are pledging to obey. We will respond with obedience. We will do what you tell us, God. James says it this way in James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know what would be really tragic on a Sunday morning? You came into this place and God himself spoke to you from the word of God. And you left this place unchanged, unaffected. You think to yourself, that message is for somebody else. That's not for me. Do you realize how special of a privilege it is to hear the voice of God preached to you? When the Bible is faithfully preached, God speaks. And he speaks to your heart. And he changes your mind. Never underestimate what God can do in a worship service when you're listening to him. He's changing your heart. He's desiring your repentance and your obedience. So, what are the three key elements that we've seen so far in a public worship service? Well, first of all, it's a call to worship. Come up here and worship the Lord. Enter into his courts with praise. The second is the reading and the preaching of God's authoritative word front and center. But number three, it's the response to that word. It's the obedience to that word. It's the, it's the pledge that when I leave this place, I'm going to be a doer of the word. I'm going to respond in obedience. I'm going to respond in repentance. I'm not just going to let it go in one ear and out the other. It's the way that the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 60, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. When I hear what you want me to do, God... I hasten towards it. I don't delay. I'm quick to obey. Okay, what's the fourth element of a worship service that we see here in Exodus? We can only approach this holy God by the blood of Jesus as our one mediator. We can only approach this holy God by the blood of Jesus, our one mediator. Now, Moses builds an altar Look at verse 4. After Moses wrote down the words of the Lord, he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Back in chapter 20, verses 24 through 26, God instructed Moses how to build an altar acceptable for the Lord. Now, this was before the tabernacle. This was before the temple. 
God always in the Old Testament equated worship with some type of physical structure related to him. Noah built an altar. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob built an altar. Moses here is building an altar, a physical structure to represent the presence of the Lord in their midst. And so they do two types of sacrifices, okay? So in verse 5, he sent young men. This is before the priesthood. He sends the young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings to the Lord. Okay, burnt offerings, you find out in Leviticus chapter 1, the burnt offerings were to be totally consumed on the fire. Nothing left over. The burnt offerings. The peace offerings, on the other hand, we find out in Leviticus 3, you're supposed to cook it on the grill and then eat it afterwards. You're supposed to eat the portion of it. But before you could kill an animal, what did you have to do? You had to drain its blood. You had to drain the blood of an animal. And so Moses drains the blood of the animal and puts it in a basin. Takes that blood, puts it in the basin. Okay, I'm going to start. Some of you are starting to get queasy here, okay? So just prepare. I'm going to start talking about blood. Blood and guts, okay? So you can't read the Old Testament without getting into the blood. So a blood in a basin, a blood in a bowl. And what does Moses do with the blood in the bowl? He throws it against the altar. Look at it. Verse 5. He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. What in the world does it mean that he threw blood against the altar? Why throw blood against the altar? What's going on here? Okay, this is a picture of something very important. The sprinkling or the throwing of the blood on the altar represents how a holy God who has every right to punish the Israelites for their sin can be forgiven by the blood. Throwing the blood at the altar meant that God's wrath was propitiated, was taken care of by the blood. It represented that their sins were forgiven in the holy presence of the Lord. Okay? So throwing the blood on the altar meant, okay, the altar represented God, a holy God, the blood on the altar, the people's sins were forgiven. Okay, but then something very strange happens. After that, okay, Moses has read the law once, the people respond, all this we will do. Then he throws the blood on the altar. Okay, look at verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And this is the second time. And they said, a second time, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Okay, look at verse 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. And said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What? He threw the blood on the people? This may seem barbaric. This may seem a little weird, a little strange. Why does Moses throw the blood on the people? I mean, he'd already thrown it on the altar. Why does he throw it on the people? You see, they needed to be covered with the blood to show the importance of the book of the covenant. What did they just say that they were going to do? They were going to obey everything that God had told them to obey. So this is like signing, signing at the dotted line in blood. People are saying, we're pledging to do this. And God says, okay, if you're pledging to do this, let's sign this in blood. <laughs> Throw blood on them. People are covered with blood. 
It's a matter of life and death, whether they were going to keep the covenant or not. It was a covenant in blood. It's a huge deal. If they were going to disobey the covenant, they would die. So you've got to be thinking to yourself, there's a major problem here. What do you know about yourself and what do you know about the Israelites? Anybody here going to live up to their end of the covenant? Everything that you tell me to do, God, I promise I will do. That's what the Israelites say, right? What do we know about the Israelites? Did they do that? No. They deserved death for not keeping their end of the covenant. And it's a matter of life and death because it's been signed in blood. Blood's on them. But what does God do here? This is a great act of mercy because God says this. Yes, it's a covenant in blood. And yes, you're supposed to obey, but I know you crazy Israelites will not. So I'm providing covering for you now, knowing that you're going to fail in the future. And so being thrown blood and being covered in blood is God's way of saying, yeah, it's a binding covenant. You're going to break it, but I'm going to forgive you when you break it. There's going to be forgiveness. God knows they're not going to live up to it. Okay, so, question. Anybody in the last few weeks been, did I throw blood on them from a Sunday morning worship service? Sacrifice animals and come up here, let me throw blood on you. Last time I'm going to Emmanuel Baptist Church that they throw blood on me. What's, what's all this blood? Okay. What does it mean for us? New Testament. Jesus is the sacrifice of our sins. And so worship services must be thoroughly Christ-centered on the bloody cross for our sins. Romans 3, 24 through 25. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Blood. Romans 5, 9, since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Blood. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Blood. Hebrews 9, 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more will the blood of Christ? Then Revelation 1, 5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We are not faithful in a biblical worship service if the cross and blood of Jesus Christ is not front and center. In the songs we sing, in the prayers we pray, in the sermons we preach. Now here's something to think about. And this is a conviction I have, and this is something that I have had to evaluate myself in my preaching. If someone were to show up in one of our worship services, had no clue about who Jesus was, no clue about the cross, would they leave here 
with enough information to know how to be saved every Sunday? Would there be any doubt for a person walking out of here that Jesus Christ and his cross and his blood was front and center to everything that we did? Is the cross central in our worship services? Do our songs reflect the cross? Do our prayers reflect the cross? Would the sermons address the power of the cross? So let's review for a moment. What are the key elements of a biblical worship service that we see here? Number one, a call to worship. We humbly come before God. We bow before him. Number two, the authoritative reading and preaching of God's Word And then number three, a response to that word, a promise to obey that word. We're going to be changed by that word. And then number four, the cross of Christ, the need for his blood sacrifice to forgive our sins is front and central. That's why John 1, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, something very interesting happened on the night of Jesus' betrayal when he's gathered with his disciples in the upper room to celebrate Passover, which he turned into the Lord's Supper. Listen to what Jesus calls the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, 26-28. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my Blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant. Okay, look in your Bibles. Verse 8. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses throws blood on them and calls it the blood of the covenant. Jesus takes the Lord's Supper and says, this is the blood of the covenant. What's going on here? So here's the fifth element of a worship service. We celebrate God's grace by sharing a meal of communion. What's going on here in this passage of Scripture? Leviticus chapter 3 tells you that a peace offering was to be burned on the flames and then eaten as a meal. Look at verse 11 in your Bibles. After this worship experience of being read the Bible and responding with the promise to obey and, and being blood being thrown on them and coming into God's presence and, and seeing the Lord, what does it say in verse 11? They he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God. That means they saw God, and they ate and drank. They ate and drank. You may say, well, that's interesting. Maybe you just passed over that incidental little bit of information. What did they eat? They ate from the peace offering. They ate from the sacrificial peace offering. This is a picture of the Lord's Supper. They are eating a covenant meal in fellowship after being covered by blood. And what does it tell us? It tells us that the peace offering means they have peace with God. Their sins have been forgiven. 
Not only has the blood been thrown on the altar, but the blood's been thrown on them. They've been covered with blood. They're eating the peace offering. It's, it's God's way of saying, you're accepted. You're forgiven. You're at peace with me. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So they're eating a fellowship peace meal covered by blood after this beautiful worship service. So you ask the question, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of our worship services? Okay. I want you to think about the flow for a moment. There's a logic, there's an order to the flow. You come into this place and there's a call to worship where we're called to bow under the lordship of Christ and to humbly submit ourselves to him. And we do that through prayers and we do that through singing. And then the word of God is read. It's read from the very beginning. It's read in the middle. It's read in the end. It's referenced all throughout. You're being saturated by the word of God. And then woven throughout the worship is the cross. We're singing songs about the cross. We're thinking about the cross. We're drawing attention to the cross. And so you're being exposed to the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God has spoken to you. How do you respond? You, you respond with repentance. You respond with obedience. You respond with the willingness to, to do what God has called you. And, you. and hopefully you leave changed before you came into this place. And so how do you appropriately respond to what we've done this last hour? What have we, whether you've been consciously aware of this this last hour, what, what, what have we done? We've had a call to worship. We've been singing songs. We've had the word read. We share a communion meal together. We eat and drink in the presence of the Lord together. Think about what happens in a worship service. What has happened this morning? God has drawn near to us. And hopefully you've drawn near to him. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we pray to him. We sing to him, we give to him, we listen to him, we eat and drink in celebration of him. And so we're eating and drinking together as a family. You're not in isolation. You're not up in the mountains. You're not out of the reservoir. You're here in close proximity as brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not in front of your, your favorite podcast preacher. You're not in front of a video screen. You're here in close proximity so that we can gather together to sing together, to give together, to listen together, to, to respond together, to take the Lord's Supper together. Why? Because we've been purchased by Jesus as brothers and sisters united together as a family, and we need each other. I don't know about you, but there's something powerful about coming into a worship service and being encouraged. You can sit home and listen to a podcast. You can sit home and watch a TV preacher. You can drive in your car and listen to Christian music. And I'm not against those things at all. But there's something special happens when you walk in these doors and you're together. As God's people, 
God shows up in a powerful way. Notice verse 4. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They responded with one voice. You were called to worship this morning when you came into this place to bow down and worship the Lord. You were blessed with the reading and preaching of God's authoritative word this morning. You were reminded of the death of Christ on the cross for your sins and how you could be forgiven by Christ. And now you get to celebrate the Lord's Supper as you eat and drink in the presence of the Lord. And finally, I can't control this. How will you respond when you leave this place? Will you walk out of here with an attitude of obedience to the Lord? Worship involves approaching God on his terms alone. So let us worship him in spirit and in truth as we culminate the service today by eating and drinking the Lord's Supper and fellowship as a church family before our great God. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And as Mickey, one of our elders, led us earlier, would you spend a few moments in quiet prayer and preparation, thinking upon these things as we take our Lord's Supper this morning. We're thankful that you've given us a template here of how to worship We don't have to make things up, but we look clearly in your word at how you led Moses and the Israelites to do it with the call to worship and the reading of the word of God and the response and sacrifice of blood that we see in Christ and in the Lord's Supper. And Lord, we want to be faithful to doing these things because you you command us to do these things when we gather together. So Lord, as we begin to take our Lord's Supper this morning, help us to do it joyfully Help us to rejoice that we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. His blood's been sprinkled on our hearts that we've been forgiven. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that's never been forgiven, that's never called out to Jesus to to save them from their sins, that's never believed that Christ died on the cross and rose again, would today be the day that they cry out to Jesus, the day that they believe in him, trust in him as their Lord and Savior. Would you bless our time together? as we eat and drink in your presence. Thank you for the peace that we have that comes through being forgiven by your cross, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.